So good to see you. I am super excited for those baptisms today. But before we uh, get into those, I want to look just briefly at what Scripture has to say on the topic of baptism. So if you would grab a Bible in front of you and turn to page, I believe it's 1714, uh, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're just going to look at a piece of this and talk about it before uh, we celebrate what God has done in the lives of these individuals. So we're going to be looking at the first four verses of Romans chapter 6. Let me read this for us, and then we'll pray, and we'll consider what it says. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing thing that you have ordained baptism and the the great privilege that we have of all participating whether through doing the baptisms or watching or observing the baptisms but being a, a source of support for those who are publicly proclaiming their allegiance to you king jesus we pray as john prayed that you would continue to sustain them and enable them to walk with you faithfully by your spirit and we pray that as we look at your word now that we would uh grow in the grace and the knowledge of your son jesus we pray all of this in his name Amen. Well, throughout scriptures, one of the things uh, that we see consistently is that God takes uh, certain moments and things and and people and circumstances and he infuses them with, with this beautiful supernatural symbolism. Let me give you an example of this. So, so one example is uh, Passover. Most of us are familiar, familiar with this. We just went through an Exodus uh, sermon series. And what we know happens is, is God frees his people Israel uh, from Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. And he frees them to go through the wilderness towards the promised land. And as he is doing this for them, he, he tells them that once a year they're supposed to eat a meal together. And as they eat this meal together, they're supposed to make sure they're eating bread that is unleavened because it symbolizes this idea for them that they were leaving Egypt in haste, that God, with the snap of his fingers, was able to miraculously liberate his people. This comes to take a fuller expression as we get into the the New Testament with Jesus, where we see that he takes the juice and and, and the bread, well, it's wine during that time, but we have juice here, juice and the bread, uh, during a Passover meal, and he tells them, this is my body and blood, which is given for you, which symbolizes that I am giving myself for you in a greater exodus, where you are being set free from your sins. But I think it makes sense that God would use symbols in his way of communicating with us and in us remembering him. Because I I think that to use symbols is fundamentally part of what it means to be human. We, We do this all of the time. We have logos all over the place. I think about just driving down the road on the billboards. You see these logos and they represent corporations and companies and conglomerates. They represent something bigger than themselves. One of the symbols that stands out to me is the bottle, uh, the bottom of a uh, plastic water bottle where you have the, the arrows that are kind of in a triangle. And every time I see that, I, I don't have to read anything. I recognize this is a symbol 
telling me that I'm supposed to be recycling this, right? Symbols are all over our world. And one of the beautiful things about symbols is that they transcend culture sometimes, and they transcend languages and backgrounds. They can even transcend conflict. Just think of the symbol of a white flag representing surrender, right? Symbols really go a long way. And like I said, part of what it means to be human and to be unified as humanity is to use symbols. And so it makes sense that God calls us to remember him through symbolic practices. Today, as we look just briefly at the book of Romans, Paul uses this beautiful symbol of baptism to try and unify the Christians in the church in Rome because they are facing some pretty significant tensions. Go back with me to the year A.D. 49. Claudius is the emperor of Rome, and he faces some tensions with the Jewish community in Rome. And so in this crazy act, he kicks all of the Jews out of the city. And that includes the Christians who were from a Jewish background. And so they're kicked out of the city for the next five years. And so what do you think happens to the church there? The church changes culturally from one that started out as being primarily a Jewish movement to being pretty Gentile. It culturally looks different. The way that they followed Jesus looked different. And so after five years, the Jews are allowed to return, including the Christians from a Jewish background. And what do they find? Things are not the way that we left them. Things are significantly different. And I don't know if we can get along with these people. And so Paul, seeing that there's this, this source of division among them, he grabs his scribe Tertius in the city of Corinth, and he writes this letter to the church in Rome, reminding them that they are not unified on anything apart from the person and work of Jesus. He tells them that this is the gospel, the good news that has been proclaimed to them, that God has planned from the very beginning, that speaks into a common problem that they all have, the problem that he calls sin, that they've rebelled against God time and time again, that they've chose to go their way instead of God's way. And all of them, from the most pious Jew to the most pagan Gentile, all have this same issue, and this issue leads them to death. Because God in his justice will not be in the presence of their sin. And if God is the giver of life, then they will certainly die. But he says that God has done something unique in history. He says that God has taken on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he has lived the life that they could never live. Every one of them need Jesus to step in on their behalf. And he dies and takes the consequences of sin into himself. And he dies the death that they deserve to live. And when he rises again... He says there's good news to be found. Because for every one of them who have a common problem of death, a common problem of rebellion against God, Jesus is put forward as the common solution to that problem. That if they would place their faith in him, that they would be reunited, that they would be reconciled to the one who loves them, their maker, God himself, and that they would be reconciled to one another. And as Paul is writing this, he anticipates that some people might have objections to this gospel that he tells them. And, and as we look at chapter 6, we see one of those objections pop up. Look with me again at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means. So here's what's happening. People are objecting, saying this. If this gospel that you're telling me about God's grace poured out in Jesus, if God is so gracious, if he is overflowing with mercy enough to cover every one of the sins that I have ever committed, if that is true, then shouldn't I just continue to sin? Because then God will pour out more of his mercy 
and more of his grace. So isn't it actually a good thing that I would sin so that God actually looks more gracious? And Paul says, absolutely not. He says, in fact, if that's what you believe, then you may have missed the truth of the gospel altogether because fundamental to the gospel message is this, that God has gone to great lengths to free you from the word he uses is slavery to sin, from the reign of sin, that we are compelled to sin and rebel against God. And he says, if because of what Jesus has done, if you are no longer enslaved to sin, then why would you continue in the same thing that is hurting you is hurting those around you, and ends up dishonoring God. You see, Paul's point is this right here, if I can get the slide going, that God's grace leads us out of a life of sin and into a life of righteousness. There is a significant change in those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Now, all of us who have trusted in Christ here know that this is not an immediate event. Right? We don't trust in Christ and then we no longer sin. In fact, the scriptures kind of expect in some sense that we will continue to stumble along, that our walk with Jesus is going to be imperfect. This is a, a reality. But the truth is this, that for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that there, there is a progressive transformation of their life where their hearts align slowly but surely with God's heart and they begin to look more and more like Christ. In fact, the scriptures say that this is the evidence that they actually belong to Christ in the first place. But what I want us to really focus on this morning and what's significant for our purposes of baptism is what he says next. He says all of these things are, are true for you Christians and the way that you are to remember this, the way that you know this is true, the, 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 the thing on which you can ground your assurance is this symbol, this symbol that he assumes that they all know, the symbol of baptism. He tells them that baptism is a sign that they have intimately and personally identified with Christ. And there are repercussions to that. On one hand, just as Christ died for our sins, he says that if you are intimately relating to Christ through baptism, that is a sign that just as Christ died, you in one sense have died to sin. You are no longer enslaved to its reign and dominion over you. We've been going through the sermon series of Philippians where we're talking about the ways that we identify with Jesus. It talks about us identifying with Jesus in his suffering. It talks about us identifying with Jesus uh, in our humility. But uniquely here, Paul says that we identify with Jesus in his death. But it says more than that. Paul goes on to say that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, when people are brought up out of the water, this is a sign that you too were raised to new life. Okay, the point is this, that baptism is this outward expression that we have inwardly turned our lives over to Jesus. And as a result, you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. The point that Paul is making to them is this. He says, guys, you have been delivered into Jesus' death. So you are no longer called to live the same way. Because when you were raised from the dead with Jesus, it wasn't the same person who was raised. You are a new creature you are no longer bound to that old way of life. You no longer need to continue to be controlled by sin. But you are set free to live the abundant life that God has called you to in relationship with him and in love for God's people. 
Now, baptism has significance on, on multiple levels, past, present, and future. It has a past significance that those who have been baptized recognize this is who I used to be. This is who God delivered me from, the, the old man, the old person who I used to be. It has a, a present significance in that it's representing for us the new life that Jesus has purchased for that person. And it has a future significance because this is a, a first step in Paul's mind of obedience for one who will continue to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus throughout their life. So I'm excited about the baptisms today. For those of you who are being baptized, young or old, uh, I think this is awesome, and I commend you for your obedience to Jesus. The scriptures say that one of the ways that we show God that we love him is through obedience to him. And so this is an excellent step of obedience. For those of you who uh, are here who are not getting baptized today but have placed your faith in Jesus, let this serve as a sign and a reminder to you of who you used to be and who Jesus has made you now. And for those of you who may not identify as a Jesus follower today, let this baptism be a sign to you of the penalty for sin, that somebody had to die for you, and that person's name was, was Jesus. And through trusting and putting your faith in him, God's promise is this, as we symbolize in baptism, that you can be a new creation, that you no longer need to be enslaved to your sin, that you can be reconciled to your maker. And that is good news. That is the gospel that Paul is proclaiming here and that is the gospel that we are proclaiming through baptisms today. So I'm super excited about this, that we get to celebrate what God has done in the hearts of, of Joel and Lydia and Aletheia and Titus. What we find is that baptism is a practice that the early church has been doing from the very beginning. The word baptism actually comes from the Greek word uh, baptizo, which essentially means that you go and you get wet. So today, we're going to immerse these individuals in water, not because we believe it saves them. Let me make that clear. Not because we believe it saves them, but we, because it's a symbol of the fact that they've already been saved by Christ. This is an outward expression of an internal reality. It is a kind of reenactment, if you will, where they are lowered into the water, symbolizing that they've died with Christ, and they are lifted out of the water, symbolizing that they have been raised to new life with him, as we read in Romans chapter 6. Now, let me give you three main reasons why we believe that baptism is enormously important for every Jesus follower. The first reason is obedience. We believe that Jesus didn't suggest that we do this as his followers, but that he commanded that all of his followers be baptized in the name of the triune God. We also believe that there is blessing to this. We believe that the actual way that we experience God's blessing, the fullness of the life that God has for us, is through following his commands, including this one right here. And finally, there is a, a sense of identification with this, where, as Paul says, we identify with Jesus, but, but along with that, and this is the part that I find kind of one of the coolest parts, is that we get to identify with Christ followers through the ages. For 2,000 years, people have been doing what we are about to do right here as a reminder and as a symbol of what Jesus has done for them. Now, each person getting baptized this morning, they, they know the meaning of this practice. I've, I've touched base or sat down with them at one point or another, and we've talked through this and the significance of it. And, and we've taken just a few moments. It was my privilege to, to interview them. To, to, they've taken a few moments to briefly share about their, Christ, their faith in Christ and why they're getting baptized and what they're excited about uh, in this video. So take a quick look at this video.
Nice. So your parents were a good example to you? Yep. And do you, do you feel like there was a point in your life where, you know, it, your parents trusted Jesus and helped to point you to him, but do you feel like there was a time when you came to trust him for yourself? Uh, it would probably be around the when I was age six or seven. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And you said, you said that you feel like that was something that happened for you at home, right? Yep. You just came to trust him. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. How do you believe that your life has changed uh, since that? My life has changed that now I, um, so basically it's, um, when I, uh, was around like five I didn't really care like what I believed in Mm -hmm. but now God has given me a heart for him it's awesome that's really cool from a young age my parents taught me about God's love for me and that Jesus died for my sins a few years ago at Camp Shimna the speaker explained the gospel in a way that made me feel closer to God I realized that I needed Jesus and prayed with my counselor and put my faith in Jesus well, I was like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, and I was having a nightmare. And I would usually go to my parents' room, and I was sort of afraid to wake anybody else up. So I just prayed to God and asked um, just for me to not be afraid for the rest of the night. And. I guess I just trusted from then, and I never had like a nightmare for the next week or so. Wow. That's pretty sweet. So, so you felt like God met you in the midst of that fear when you trusted in him. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Cool. I grew up uh, in a Christian household. Um, both my parents were Christians, and I grew up um, going to church and public school. And through that, um, I really learned a lot about um, what a Christian life um, should look like. Uh, I knew that Christ needed to be at the center of my life um, and that to follow him, um, I needed to give my life over to him and make him the Lord of my life. Um, And while I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Christ follower um, in high school and junior high, uh, the event that took place when I was 18 and when I moved up to the cities um, was really when um, Christ became the center of my life. Um, after um, a couple of relationships fell through um, and living on um, kind of my own away from my parents for the first time, um, Christ really showed me that he needed to be my all and my foundation. Um, so I decided um, that night to follow Christ with everything. Um, and while I didn't necessarily know um, what it looked like to grow with Christ, it was apparent that um he was now the foundation of my life. Um, and I started reading my Bible, um, not because uh, I was told to, or uh, I felt guilty that I wasn't, but really I wanted to learn more about um, how to walk with Christ and, and Christ's teachings. Um, so after um, I went to Iowa State, uh, I started getting involved with a group called the Navigators, and they really um, showed me um, just some bedrocks of being a Christ follower, um, discipleship, scripture memory, reading my Bible, 
uh, having a quiet time um, with Jesus and that my faith is now my own. Um, I started discipling guys um, and helping them along their walks of um, their faith in, in similar ways that people walk um, with me. Um, and I would say just um, from that first moment where Christ's uh, foundation, um, it wasn't just one choice um, and boom, my Christianity um, was done and solved, but um, really learning that uh, it's a journey of growing um, with Christ and becoming more like him. I'm excited that it shows that I am a true believer in God mm -hmm. and he will help me um, get through tough times. Because the, the Bible says that to be a true believer that you should get baptized and I want to obey God and be a true believer and I feel like baptism is one way to show that. I'm looking forward to being baptized because I believe it's something God called me to do and because Jesus was baptized and I want to be like him. Today I'm getting baptized. Um, to be honest, I feel like I've been putting it off uh, for a while, um, but a part of following Christ is obedience. Um, obedience to him. He commanded um, yeah, to be baptized and um, for it to be a public display um, of your faith. Um, and that is why I'm being baptized today. Right. Why don't we do this? Let's uh, call up our four people getting baptized today. We'll call you up and we'll pray for you before we do this. Come on up. Guys, gals. All right, we're going to pray for you all. If you are comfortable extending a hand to pray for them, I'd love if you would do that. We'll pray this and then we will dunk them for Jesus. So let's pray. Our Father, today we present these, your people, who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. By grace, they have received the free gift of eternal life and you have seated them with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So they are here to bear witness to your salvation through baptism. Lord, we ask that you would nourish and sustain them by your word, that you would be uniquely present with them by your spirit, that you would protect them from the evil one and from anything that would draw their hearts away from you, that you would use them to spread the good news about Jesus, that you would equip them to build up your body, the church, and that one day when they stand before you, they will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our loving Father, in these holy moments, help us to grasp more of the wonder of having been buried with Christ in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, Lydia, I think you told me you want to go first. You still up for that? All right, come on, let's do it. All right, step on in. And you know, when we do this, feel free to celebrate. I think this is uh, an exciting thing here. It is a little warm. It's kind of like a hot tub. You got to get used to it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, before you burn to death, here we go. Dying with Christ, right? Um, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you three questions, and then we will baptize you. Okay, Lydia, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father? 
Do you trust in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? Lydia, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go. Wanna step out over here? Oh my goodness. Now I'm gonna be serving soggy communion. You can head out right that way. All right, who wants to go next? All right, Titus, let's do it. <laughs> Is it warm? <laughs> all right, you might want to sit all the way down so I, there you go, perfect. All right, I'll do it quick. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father? Yes. Do you trust in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Well, Titus, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me go out this way. There you go. All right, Joel. Oh, you're doing the socks and everything. You don't want to walk on the ground. You're going to be soggy walking around the rest of the time. All right. Joel, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yeah. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father? Yeah. Do you trust in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? Yeah. Well, upon your profession of faith... I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Congrats, dude. All right, last but not least. Have they cooled it down for you? No? Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. Perfect. Aletheia, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was raised on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father? Yes. Do you trust in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? Yes. Well, Aletheia, upon your profession of faith in Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go. Oh. All right, you guys can go and dry off and change out there. We're going to transition now to one of the other, I'm a little soggy here, this is going to be interesting, uh, to, to one of the other uh, symbols uh, that we had mentioned that is uh, intimate to our walk with Jesus, and that is the Lord's Supper. But I think before we do that, I think it's appropriate that we just take a moment to silence ourselves, to examine ourselves, uh, and then we'll come and confess our sins before the Lord we, before we come to his table. So let's just take a moment of silence and we'll pray. <laughs> 